Hi, I'm Kelly. And welcome to The Millennial Minimalist. Today, I'm speaking with an exciting guest who can help us relax our minds for the long term. His name is Julian Brass, and he is a recognized Canadian entrepreneur, keynote speaker, teacher, and the author of the international best-selling book, Own Your Anxiety, 99 Simple Ways to Channel Your Secret Edge. In Own Your Anxiety, Julian shares his personal experiences with severe anxiety and his determination to deal with it naturally by adopting mindful lifestyle habits. He then guides us on his inspiring journey of self-discovery that leads him on a path redefining his relationship with anxiety. We all worry sometimes we've all experienced anxiety at some point in our lives, and for many, even multiple times a day. And Julian works to help us shift our mindset, transform our habits, and dissolve the fears and the negative self-talk that often holds us back. In our discussion, you will learn to see anxiety as a positive force and be inspired to adopt natural practices such as holistic wellness, yoga, self-care, and positive psychology to help you relax your mind, body, and soul. Today, I'm excited for you to learn more about Julian and become motivated to adopt some of his powerful tips to help you improve your health and ultimately own your anxiety. Hi, Julian. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. I'm so excited to speak with you today. Likewise. I truly believe that anxiety is something that we can all relate to. And I also believe that there's great synergy between our missions as we're really both helping others live a calmer and more intentional lifestyle. So to start, in your book, Own Your Anxiety, you reinforce minimalist values such as mindfulness, reflection, and intentionality. And you offer lifestyle tools that can help us stress and really take control over our lives. So to give our listeners some background, I'm hoping you can briefly share your story and the events that triggered you to transition your life and study anxiety. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. So when I started up my old business, uh, which was 2008 called Notable, I had zero idea that, you know, a thing called mindfulness even existed. I, I knew nothing about holistic living. Uh, minimalism was something that I didn't even, I'd have to literally look it up in a dictionary if I would have heard the word right. back in 2008, you know? I was the opposite of minimalism. I was trying as hard as I could to make money and, you know, yes, put out a good service and create a, a company that would help people, but, you know, finances were the driving force to my life. Mm-hmm. And through the struggle and the hustle of startup entrepreneurship, and going at it completely alone and bootstrapping the entire thing, I had my first run with anxiety for the first time in my life. And it was, it was pretty ugly. Interestingly enough, I've always, in my, my entire life, I've always had a little more trouble than others in grasping new concepts. So in school, I was told that I had a learning disability over and over again. They wanted to hold me back uh, grade, but my parents wouldn't let them. I would have to go early for help. I would have to get extra tutors. I would go after class late and stay with the teacher to get extra help. Constantly working, you know, five times harder to get generally marks that were worse than everybody else in the class. Um, When I played hockey, I started at six and I didn't know how to stop until I was 11. I literally couldn't grasp the concept of stopping. What these things taught me, you know, these things that essentially took longer and I had to work harder than everybody else in my peer group back then to achieve what they taught me was to be resilient and they taught me to be resourceful and they taught me that, you know what, life just isn't fair. And sometimes you're just going to have to work way harder than everybody else 
for the same or even a worse result. But if you want it, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what really is just interesting about the synchronicity of the universe and just, you know, how if we, if we're willing to put in the work in all aspects of life, you know, it does pay off in some way, often ways that we can't ever imagine during the time of the challenge is that when I was 24, 2008, and I started up my old business and I got anxiety, I believe most people who felt the way that I felt and were going through what I was going through mentally and physically would have gone straight to a doctor and probably be put on anti-anxiety, maybe even anti-depression medication. Because my anxiety was so bad at the times, I just felt completely depressed and I wouldn't even go outside a few days at a time. Oh my gosh. But because I have literally been trained since I was a young person that I just have to work harder Mm -hmm. and I always have to find a solution, I just used what I know how to do on myself with my anxiety. And I said, well, shit, there's got to be a way to figure all this out. It doesn't need to be so so hard. There's got to be something. Luckily, just around that time, I found myself in a yoga studio for the first time. And I guess I was receptive to the idea that, you know, maybe this like this new age sort of, you know, wellness practice could offer tools that can help me. So I was super receptive when, when I was invited to go to a studio. And although it was like hell for me, quite literally, it was, it was a 90 minute Bikram class. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, that's like about 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Have you ever done that? <laughs> that is hot yoga. Yeah. I have done it once before. Yes. Yeah. So like, that's hard. I mean, hot yoga is hot yoga. And then there's 90 minute Bikram, which is like a whole other level. And it's freaking crazy in there. Anyway, I thought it was like hell on earth, but in the 90 minutes, there was one minute of this euphoric bliss I'd never, ever experienced, and it was the medicine to my anxiety, and it was thanks to that minute that I'm on the path that I'm on today. That minute became my saving grace. It became the thing that I'd always fall back to when I had the physical ailments of anxiety and the mental ailments of anxiety and that you know desolate feeling of completely alone of being a feeling completely alone, I would go back to that moment of inner peace and I would say, well, what the fuck happened? That's how I sometimes talk to myself right, right. with a genuine curiosity, but also some tough love. And if you felt it once, go find it again. Right. And I started to realize that a lot of the things that I was doing in my life back then, the way I was living, the way I was uh, treating myself, both, you know, in a in a self-talk perspective, but also in the types of foods that I was putting in or the drinks or the, you know, sometimes drugs that I was doing, all the different things that, you know, was, you know, pretty much what like, you know, any mainstream downtown young professional would, would probably have dealt with, dabble with today or knows many people who do, I was doing. And when things got bad, I would remember and recall that moment and that would be this thing that would say okay hold on julian you know there's a better way are you going to listen are you going to treat yourself the way you know you need to treat yourself are you going to honor yourself the way you know you need to honor yourself are you going to put in the work are you going to stop saying yes to you know that tempting food or that drink or that you know, Saturday night out super late and yes to yoga in the morning and reading the personal development books and going to the seminars, which one are you going to choose? Right. And the more I would lean in to the positive stuff and say no to the negative stuff, 
I started to really see that anxiety is just confused, negative energy that is being treated in a dysfunctional way because society tells us we need to run from it. But when I learned to listen to it and let it become my inner teacher and guru, then it became my secret edge. And it became literally the thing that in my mind, looking back, I sold my business now, but looking back, what helped build it was that I had that anxiety that made me healthier. It made me stronger. It made me happier. And frankly, it made me way more creative, way more charismatic during times when I needed to be. Because of the ways you were responding to your anxiety, you were seeking out natural solutions. And I think it may have been that that meditation or sorry, that yoga class that initially inspired you to seek out natural solutions. But that being said, understanding that you were suffering from anxiety, were drugs ever prescribed to you? No, I never went to see a doctor for, for that specifically. Okay. No. That's amazing because I think majority of us, we would think about it and say, hey, like, we should go to the doctor. Like, let's get this mm-hmm. checked out. I mean, I could say, I mean, a lot of my peers and I feel like I've been experiencing some form of anxiety recently and it's mostly in response to work stress, but also in response to a health scare in my family recently. So, uh, I'm sorry. and you know, it, but the beauty is that you can recognize <laughs> this state and what I love about your book is that you offer actionable lifestyle habits that we can incorporate into our life to reduce those feelings of anxiety and resolve them. And so I've been practicing a few of these tips that you include in your book. You have 99 actionable lifestyle habits, and it's just super inspiring. I actually keep it by my bedside oh, <laughs> to keep on so track. Nice yeah, it's right beside my bed. And it's amazing because some of your tips include like, Journal, say no more, practice self-love, control self-talk. And I think that that's one of the things that, I mean, especially with control self-talk, I think a lot of us, we sometimes we talk to ourselves so negatively and we have to be very, very mindful of that because. Yeah. And I, you know, in your anxiety, the book, I really try to not just put, you know, the tip out there, but offer step-by-step ways to actually put it into practice. Have you found that useful? Yes. Like, for example, you said, like, move your body, avoid foods that hurt you, you know, laugh more often. Or is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah. And then even if you break them down, like, for instance, you mentioned uh, self-talk. Yes. It, within, within a lot of the tips, I put, you know, the own your anxiety tip uh, or own your, own your anxiety tool that will help you achieve the outcome. So, you know, to say to say to somebody, well, start speaking to yourself more kindly, it's like, oh, in theory that sounds good, but like, give me the steps. How do I do that? Right. So in the book with these 99 tools, I try to offer these little mini tips for many of them that give people literally step-by-step action plans to create the change so they can actually achieve the tool. Absolutely. And I think that the problem with all of this self-help that we have, you know, at our fingertips these days is that they give us instructions on like, do this, but they don't actually give us actionable instructions, right? You got it. So you it's just, it. it's like an information overload, but it's, it's not actionable. So like, how do we incorporate it into our lives? And everybody's life is different, right? Mm-hmm. So what I love about your book is that a lot of self-help books offer advice. However, everybody's life is different and how we incorporate them into our lives is going to be, you know, maybe harder for some. 
So you can really choose those that align with your lifestyle. And so you go, you kind of, you kind of give us options, which is good. Right. And that's why, you know, for anyone who has not, who's listening, but hasn't seen the book yet, that's why Own Your Anxiety has 99 simple tools and they're broken up into three sections, own your body, own your mind, own your soul. So I really wanted to give, because to your point, everyone's lifestyle is different. Everybody's temperature is, you know, more heated for a certain type of thing versus not for another type of thing. Can I mean heated in a good way? Like people warm up, you know, differently, different things. So, you know, in honoring that and the beautiful individualism that is humanity, I wanted to make sure that every single person has, you know, an a la carte style offering when they open up this book and each tool is just one to three pages and it's almost fun to read. Plus, there's 98 medical references at the back of the book. So everything is validated. So people can feel assured that the stuff in the book is actually research-backed and data-driven, not just my opinion. But don't worry. I put my opinion out there a lot. And I think a lot of people have found that me sharing my own struggles and my own complete feeling of being lost throughout the book in a humorous way, you know, gives people a chance to say like, well, shit, I'm really not alone. Like if this guy, Julian, who's built a really great, successful life has felt like this. And so have I, you know what? I'm not a loser. I'm doing just fine. And everyone is doing just fine. But the thing is that on this journey of life, we can always do better. And it doesn't mean we need to be like, you know, nonstop Tony Robbins, like, you know, be jumping up and down all the time. Although Tony makes lots of self-love time for anyone who actually studies the guy. It means that we're able to push ourselves in a loving way. You know, the way that a really good parent pushes a child, they, they do it in a supportive way, full of love, but still saying, okay, you know what, honey, if you want to get to this goal, we've got to, we've got to push ourselves. We don't have to kill ourselves, but we've got to be strong and push ourselves. Right. And being someone who's achieved a, 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 some, some pretty good stuff so far in my life, I really aim to do two things with this book and with all my work in general. You know, one thing is that it's all about reaching the masses. This book was meant to be the the solution to a world where if a person really wants to discover true holistic living and wellness, I mean, I hate to say it, they need to have money and or time in order to really unlock the secrets. It's just, that's just the way it's designed, especially if you're in the Western world. You need to like either spend money and time on finding practitioners where you live, or you need to find the time to go and travel overseas to go and learn with a guru. And when, when I did so much of my learning, I said to myself, eventually, when I really figured things out, I was like, this isn't fair. You know, why should I be able to have learned all these things? But next thing you know, the person beside me in the airplane is having a mini panic attack because she doesn't know how to just calm herself down using the beautiful God-given tools that she's been given. Right. So, right. So I want to change that. And then beyond that, my second sort of group that I'm like really, that I really focus on with this book and everything that I do is elite performers, people who really have that drive to go after their dreams and they accomplish them. Yeah, they totally do. But once they get to their dream, it's like, Oh, what now? (laughs) (laughs) This dream isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And in pursuit of my dream, I 
look 20 years older than I should. Right. I gained 15 pounds. My energy sucks. I'm drinking way too much alcohol or I'm eating way too much garbage or I'm hanging out with people that don't serve me but actually hurt me. Is this what I hustled so many years for? So I help people, you know, kind of do both. It's so interesting that we sacrifice so many other areas of our lives to be successful in one area. Someone asked me recently, how do you define success? And I said, it's a feeling of purpose and overall fulfillment in multiple areas in your life. And mm-hmm. the problem is that we're all in, we, I mean, currently we're in this hustle culture and we're working towards something, but then we're putting everything else on the, on the back burner. And when, especially when it comes to our health. And, you know, on a, on a, on a side note, my, my mother, she actually recently, she is a workaholic just like myself. And, you know, you learn it from your parents and it's a good quality because they've made me ambitious, but she, she, she works a lot. She says, if she doesn't work, then she doesn't get paid. And I'm like, mom, you can't have that mentality. You need to change your mentality. Like you need to take time for recovery. She recently experienced a perforated appendix because wow. um, she was in pain, but she was, uh, you know, ignoring the pain, and and she does regret it today. And her mindset has since shifted. And you know, during that period, obviously, I went through a period of feeling anxious and feeling feeling a sense of stress. But um, you know, I was able to work through it and actually literally open your book during this period. And I'm being completely honest with you. And it's been super helpful. And even just the breathing exercises, you mentioned that you divide your book by own your mind, own your body and own your soul. And you start the book with breathe as the first strip. Why did Uh you choose this? First of all, before I, I answer that, and I will happily share that, I just want you to know that I wrote most of Own Your Anxiety while caring for my mother as she was fighting the breast cancer battle. Yes. So I can really relate to what you are feeling. I just want you to know that. I, I, I really, my heart and your heart, like they're connected right now. I really feel you. I appreciate it, yeah. And I want you to know and everyone to know that, um, yeah, this, 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 writing this book was such a journey because, I mean, quite literally, I'd be caring for my mom during chemo and whatnot. And when she wanted her like quiet time, I'd be right beside her writing part of this book on my laptop or on my iPad. Wow. And you know, when she needed someone just to be around her, her apartment to just bring her groceries or to elevate her feet, because sometimes they get really swollen during chemotherapy, whatever it was. And just to be there while she fell asleep, I would be there right by her bed, sitting on the couch, writing this book. So, you know, there's a lot in this thing that um, I'll always hold close to me. And it's it means a lot to know that when you were going through a really hard time with someone you love so much, Kelly, you had this piece of work beside you, and it helped you. That, that really, it means a lot. Okay, so going to breathe. Why is that tool number one in on your anxiety? Very simple. Because breathing is something that we all do. And, you know, by the grace of God, we're able to do this. And unless someone all of a sudden is not able to breathe and needs, you know, to, to have some sort of medical device that will allow them to breathe, we all have the ability to not only breathe, but to breathe freely and to breathe how we want and choose to breathe. So the thing is, most people are walking around going through life. I'm not even going to talk about that. The fact that most of us 
walk around life half asleep until something really shitty happens that causes us to wake up, my former self included. <laughs> but I'll talk, I'll say that with breathing, most people are walking around breathing into their chest and their lungs. You know, it's a very short type of breath. It's the type of breath for everybody listening, if you want to picture it, that people you know or maybe you are doing when you're angry or when you are feeling anxious or when you're rushing or how about this, if if those things don't make the light bulb go off, when you jump into a freezing cold lake or river or ocean or cold shower or ice bath, it's that short, hollow chest, lung, breath. It's like hypothermia. Most people are walking around breathing like that. And what that does is activate the sympathetic nervous system, which is where the fight or flight response in the body lives. And through evolution, we have developed the fight or flight response because it was literally a life-saving reaction to external things that are happening in our lives. Back in the day when our ancestors were around, you know, they were running from tigers and bears or enemy yeah. tribes, yes. right? Yes. So you needed fight or flight or else you you literally may die or be captured or be eaten. But today we are going through fight or flight because we're running 10 minutes late to the meeting. We're going through fight or flight because, you know, someone said something that we don't like and it hurt our feelings, we're going through fight or flight because we had too much coffee and that caffeine has really worked our anxiety up. Sounds really lame on our end, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's like pathetic, but hey, we're just living life in the way that we've been brought up to live it. This is what society requires of us right now. And I mean, who are we to like challenge society? I mean, unless you want to be a Mother Teresa, like it's going to be hard. Okay, but what you do have the choice of without becoming an activist, and if you do want to become an activist, all the power to you, you do have a choice of how you want your internal world to look. And you do have a choice to say, okay, you know what? I might be running 10 minutes late and I'm not going to do it again. I should not be late. Too bad. But I'm not going to put myself into an anxious state of fight or flight because I'm running 10 minutes late. And how do we change the nervous system so that we're not letting the breath dictate and make us even more anxious. Again, reminder, breathing into the chest and lung will make you more anxious. That's simply to breathe into your belly. So when you breathe into the belly, you activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is where the rest and relaxation and recharge response in the nervous system lives. So by simply breathing through the nose and into the belly, we all of a sudden put ourselves into a state of relaxation and we get to rest and renew. So, Hey, what the heck? While everyone's listening right now, I'm going to do one breath with all of you. Let's just feel the difference. Okay. So let all the air out. Is that okay, Kelly? Can we yes. I would love that. Yes. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. So everybody let all of your air out through your mouth. Sigh it out. <sighs> now through your nose, Inhale and direct the air to your belly so your belly starts to expand. Put a hand on your belly if that makes it easier. Okay. Inhale two. Inhale three. Now through the nose, exhale. One, two, three. Let's do it once more. Through the nose, inhale. Let the belly expand. One, two. Keep pushing it out. Fill up. Three. Hold. And through the nose. Exhale. One. Two, 
and three. Whoa. Does everyone listening feel calmer? <laughs> I feel so much more relaxed. It's so interesting that we're doing this because I actually did this exact same experiment this morning with my boyfriend, and we both felt so much better. It's it's amazing that starting with your breath can make a big change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another reason why breath and how to breathe uh, leads off the book, but also is the first section in Own Your Anxiety in terms of where it sits is because it's part of the Own Your Body section. And owning our body is actually far more simple than owning our mind or owning our soul. The body's a gateway to the mind and the soul. So my invitation for everybody who reads this book is to start there. You know, start with learning the tools to own your body because it's very cut and dry. There's not a lot of room or margin for error when it comes to just basic but profound science that says this is how the body will react to something. Mm -hmm. So that's why I start with that. And because from a place of, you know, really getting the body in check and starting to get more, more energy and feel healthier, then we put ourselves into a situation where we, we literally stack the odds in our favor of being able to then go into the mind and go into the soul. It, that's so smart because it gets you prepared to shift your mindset because exactly. it, it doesn't start with your mindset because your mindset will be influenced by bettering your body, right? So you got it. by doing you these exercises, it. you'll then be inspired to be more hyper aware of all the things that are stressing you out and how you can respond to them appropriately. And that it actually really aligns well with minimalism because minimalism is all about removing the excess from your life or mm-hmm. identifying the stress in your life and creating space in your life for recovery, right? So for example, yeah. I find that most of my stress, I hold most of my stress from stress at work. So, and, and I learned quickly that a lot of the anxiety that was coming from that, the cons and thoughts of, even though I'm doing very well, I'd always tell myself, oh, you know, you're not doing enough. You got to keep working harder and harder and harder. Well, you know what? I was doing that because, you know, I felt like I needed to please everybody around me in a sense. And I started to realize that I can actually speak up and communicate with these individuals and, and realize that, hey, like they are, they are proud of me. They do know that I'm doing a good job. And so it's really me putting that pressure on myself. And, you know, in those moments of lots of stress, I make sure that I take five, 10 minutes to go for a coffee, even if I don't want to. Um, it's kind of a, a non-negotiable time slot that I put in my and calendar. when you go for that coffee, are you bringing your phone with you? So sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. And when I do, I'm, I strictly focus on whatever task I want to do. For example, usually it's, hey, I want to focus on my podcast for 10, 20 minutes. And, you know, I'm there with intention, which is great. Mm-hmm. So I'm not living reactively in those moments because I think a lot of the time we can say, hey, you know, take time to recover, relax. And a lot of people, they'll move to their couch and they'll start scrolling. So we need that mindfulness, right? And people think, oh, yeah, you know, I was relaxing. It's like, no, you weren't because you don't realize how many images just went through your brain, (laughs) right? 100%. And also, if I may just add one thing, because I actually speak about this in my book a lot. It's about, you know, breaking effectively. So 
you know, you're a driven person and you may find it almost relaxing to take that break and go and work on your, your podcast, right? Which is pleasure for you. Right. But I want to make sure people listen because I know so many people look up to you who listen to your podcast. I want to make sure for everyone who listens that you understand, everybody, that when you go and take your break, you got to break intentionally and break effectively. If you take your desk with you to the coffee shop, you're not doing anything for your mental health. You're not breaking effectively. You are literally going to continue stimulating your mind in the same way which you are trying to get a break from. Plus, you're probably adding caffeine to the fire, making everything harder. So it might feel relaxing to have that coffee at 2 p.m. or 3 p.m., but just know that that caffeine is actually stimulating your nervous system, and it's going to make it way harder to find that internal calm peace that you want when you go back to the office and that you want when you go home at night just a few hours later, and it may affect your sleep. So yep. please be aware, everybody. You know, Take your break, but do it intentionally, and do it mindfully. Maybe have a tea instead or a decaf coffee. You know, or go for a ginger shot. That That's a real natural pick-me-up. But just know that if you take your desk with you, you're not doing anything to serve you. You're actually just challenging yourself and making it more complicated. And here's a little social experiment, not to be judgmental. But next time you guys all go to a coffee shop, if you want to take a quick moment to look around you and just identify who looks anxious and who does not look anxious, <laughs> have a look at what the people who look like they're chilling are doing and the ones who are who look like they're super anxious are doing. A lot of the ones who will be super anxious are the ones who are guzzling back their coffee, head is down in that phone, and maybe they're even taking business calls. They're not taking a break. They're not giving themselves a chance to just chill. And they're going to go away from their quote-unquote break feeling more anxious and stressed out. This is a huge, huge fundamental problem with our society right now. As technology gets more prevalent, we as a society are getting way more anxious and stressed. And it's hitting even the young children and the teenagers. Everybody's overstimulated. So we, we need to literally guard when we allow ourselves to be stimulated and when we know that we do not want or need or we are not willing to accept stimulation. And, you know, it might sound like empowering or confusing, depending on how you're listening to this. But everybody, the stimulation is causing your brain to work overtime. And the brain doesn't want to always work. And when the brain is working all the time, the body starts to feel and sense anxiety. Plus, when you're scrolling on Instagram on your break, or when you run to the bathroom, now not only are the neurons being fired from all this stimuli that are built into these apps to make them addictive, but we're also now going into a negative self-talk place perhaps where we feel inferior or like life isn't fair because the other person we just saw on Instagram is on a wicked vacation and we're stuck in the snow or at the office or maybe they got that new insert whatever material thing you want to insert right now that you're thinking about, but you didn't, and you're then jealous, and the negative self-talk ensues. And if I can just continue this for one moment, because Absolutely. this is really valuable. Okay, thanks. It's really valuable for people, and I know they're going to get a lot of value from this next last thing I want to share on this topic. When that self-talk starts, it is actually proven that it can create more anxiety and lead to worse performance. Okay, in on your anxiety, I reference a study that was done by 
professional researchers on the power of positive psychology on professional athletes. And they looked at professional downhill skiers, to be specific. And the ones who engaged in negative self-talk versus the ones who engaged in positive self-talk. And this is before a race. And all of the racers had the same experience and the same practice level and the same skill level. Okay? They all had the same. So the playing field, or the slopes, let's call it, because we're skiing here, were even. But some engaged in negative self-talk and some engaged in positive self-talk and the ones with positive self-talk all were able to take their anxiety and channel it into becoming facilitative anxiety and that is what my goal with own your anxiety is that people own their anxiety so they can make it facilitative and then it becomes your secret edge but you see, in this little rant that I just went on, which Kelly gave me permission to go on, so I don't feel so bad. No. It's absolutely. all a cycle. Step one leads to step two, to step three, to step four. And next thing you know, you're in this anxiety rut where you're not giving yourself positive self-talk, positive self-love. You're not breaking effectively. You're glued to your screen. And you're like, why the F am I so exhausted after this day? And I didn't even do that much. Right. It's a mindset shift, right? Because we're not just dissolving our anxiety or reducing it. We're owning it. We're hyper aware of it and we're managing it well. But those who are not, it can influence other areas in their life in a negative way. It's so funny. Like when I'm thinking of, for example, I I run a, I, I manage a 5k race. And when I'm thinking of our elite athletes, I never thought, wow, well, maybe this individual will beat this individual because they have a more positive mindset or they have more positive self-talk. So fascinating. Yeah, and they probably will. They have a positive self-talk on a very, very personal level. Um, Have you ever done Barry's Boot Camp, Kelly? I have. They were our fitness partner last year. Oh, yeah. And by the way, your 5K race was phenomenal. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. You were a part of it. Yeah. I was so impressed by I, I am always impressed by you managed to do so many things. It's, it's really, it's phenomenal. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, really. So Barry's Bootcamp on this topic of facilitative versus debilitative anxiety and positive versus negative self-talk. I went to my first Barry's class about two years ago. And for anyone who's ever, you know, seen me online on my Instagram, which is Julian Brass or you know, any of my videos or whatever, or come to my talks, you know, I, 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 can, I can humbly but, but just factually say that I appear to be in good shape. I'm in very good shape. But I want everyone to know that, first of all, I was a very chubby kid who wouldn't take his shirt off when he went swimming for years, A. So I've worked for the physique that I have. And B, I may appear to be in good shape. But for years, I was in the worst cardiovascular shape. All I did was yoga and lift weights. So my, my, my respiratory health was not good. My cardiovascular health was not good. I went to Barry's because I, I said to myself, you know what? I need to work more on my cardio because it's really important for the heart. So I go to a Barry's class and I could not get past level six on the treadmill. So for everybody who's never been to Barry's, all I mean by that is when you put your speed setting to six. I couldn't get to six. And in berries, they often will (laughs) go to like 13 or 14 if you're like at the top of the class. Okay. So I left berries. Well, first of all, during the class, I remember my negative self-talk was literally, why am I even doing this? I'm just going to have sore legs. I'm not going to be able to do yoga after. 
I look like I'm in great shape. What the hell am I doing? This is bullshit. And I could not get past six. That was something how the conversation went. And I'm just being really honest with everybody because I want you to know that if that voice in your head sounds anything like mine, like doesn't mean you're a dysfunctional human who can't change it, okay? Because I managed to change it. Yes. Now I go to Barry's. I, 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 I continue to go. And for whatever reason, instead of just giving up after that time, I said, I'll tell you why. A friend threw a charity event at a Barry's boot camp, and I wanted to support, so I went. And this time I said, you know what, Julian? You're going to push yourself a little harder. You're going to see if you can get past that level six. And next thing you know, I did. And then I decided I'm going to get some of these packages classes. And now when I go, I go between level 11 and level 13. Wow. And what's the time span? How long did it take you to get there? I mean, I went two years ago, but I didn't go consistently for two years. I mean, the truth is I've probably only been going consistently now for like three or four months. Wow. Okay. So, so it's a massive jump, obviously. It's more than twice as fast for, you know, 45 seconds to 60 seconds of sprinting. But everyone listening, I'm not saying that so that you're impressed by me and my, my cardiovascular endurance. That is zero reason. I'm coming back to facilitative anxiety versus debilitative anxiety, positive self-talk versus negative self-talk, which, which leads to that facilitative or debilitative anxiety. Now, when I go to a Barry's class, and as I was trying to get a little bit faster, I went from saying things like I mentioned, I said, why am I doing this? This is bullshit. This is stupid. I'm just going to get a sore muscle. I don't need this to literally saying to myself, yes, I can. 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 And then maybe on the next run, I say to myself, I got this. 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 Over and over, everybody listening, I say it to myself inside my mind. And that type of positive self-talk, it's so simple, just a few words, is something that has pushed me to be able to get way more physical performance and to feel more inner peace because I'm full of self-love and gratitude and self-admiration afterwards. The same applies when you go to your office or you go to that big meeting or that big presentation or you got that project or you've got a date or you've got a really crucial conversation with somebody or you're going to go and travel and you get kind of anxious when you travel or you've got you know, to give a speech somewhere. It's the same thing. If we can say to ourselves, yes, I can, yes, I can, yes, I can. I got this. I got this. I got this. I'm strong. I have the strength. I am beautiful. I am capable. I have the ability. I was put here to do this. All of this type of positive self-talk will then lead to you taking your anxiety from negative to positive. You're going to be able to channel and harness it, and it will become your secret edge. Wow. Now, when... Let's, for example, when you leave a Barry's Bootcamp class, you know that high that you feel? Mm-hmm. So we get this high, but sometimes we, I mean, for example, we take a Barry's class during our lunch break because we're stressed at work. So we go there to recover our mental space, and then we go back to work, and then we stress again. How can we incorporate these lifestyle habits that help us recover, but in a way that is, I guess, holistic. So some things that we are hyper aware of it so that we don't come back to the office feeling stressed. Like I'm not, I I don't want to, you know, I'm trying to combat Band-Aid solutions. You know, we want this to be 
you know, something that's a great gonna, question. Yeah. So, okay. So, so yeah, really good. I'm glad you asked that. So there was a study done, which I, I do reference in on your anxiety, my book that says that while physical fitness has been proven to reduce anxiety, it's nowhere as it's nowhere nearly as effective as doing the physical exercise, whatever it may be, whether it's berries or your treadmill or kickboxing or spinning or you know lifting weights, whatever swimming, you know, you do you. But it's nowhere nearly as effective as meditating after the workout. Huh. Yeah. So that is how we make this holistic. We sure we, I, I encourage everybody listening to become so habitual about moving every day of your life. Movement is key and it will allow you to own your anxiety. But don't just move. Make a few minutes to meditate after. And all I mean by that is to sit in stillness and breathe. Sit in stillness and stretch. And move your breath with your stretch. Hey, that kind of rhymes. It's a good one. Move your breath with your stretch. So really, and, in a sense, it is taking time for reflection after these mental or physical recovery exercises. You know, this is why I like you so much, because you're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even talking about reflection, but that would be even better. But I'm not talking about reflection. I'm talking about you can go and sit there and just stretch. Just go and sit there and sit cross-legged or on a chair for three minutes and just breathe from your nose to your belly with your eyes closed. Huh. Okay, if you want to reflect and start to give gratitude for how you just served yourself and prioritized you and that you're strong and capable and amazing for doing so, you will feel even more of a natural lift. But you don't need am I even saying that. That's a bonus. I love how you I know obviously you go to the bonus, Kelly. But you I for everyone listening, you don't need to go and do that. You can just sit there. Just chill out for a couple of minutes. After you move, without your phone, of course, don't be looking at your phone. I'm talking close your eyes and meditate. You don't even need to put an app on. That's another bonus, perhaps. Just breathe. And the data says that you will feel a more heightened sense of calm. And that workout that you just did will now not just be for your body, you know, your muscles or your endurance and your cardio, but it's also going to now be for your body from a nervous system perspective and for your mind from an inner peace perspective. I love that you say just kind of be present. I mean, whether that's just stretching or just sitting there. Uh, it makes me think of your idea about going to a coffee shop and not bringing your phone. There's something about that I think a lot of us can relate to. I think most of us would think, well, isn't that a little weird just going there without our phone and just sitting there and having our tea? It's, it's interesting that our society would think someone's weird because they're not looking at their phone or doing something. They're just alone sitting there with their tea. But it's such a beautiful thing, and I feel like we should do more of it. I'm with you. And question for everyone listening who's like, yeah, that is weird. Here's a question for all of you. Is it weird or is it your negative self-talk telling you that it's weird? Yep. It is the negative self-talk, 100%. I think it's, it's also like confidence in yourself. You know, I don't, I think he, once you have that full confidence and awareness of yourself, you, you, you tend not to care. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. It is a lot of confidence. And, you know, for anyone who wants to give it a shot, a couple steps you might consider would be 
first of all, pump yourself up before using positive affirmations. Tell yourself, you know, I am amazing. I am great. I am worthy. I am enough to be alone. Yes. Yeah. You know, try that before and then go and see how you feel. You know, whether it's the coffee shop or a bite, you know, don't just take the food to go. Maybe eat it in the restaurant. You know, and from this perspective, because of my life has taken me around the world so many times for work and now, you know, sure it's work, but it's, it's my passion to go and serve and to speak and work with corporations and give seminars and workshops and teach yoga all over the world, give my own your anxiety talks. Like this is what I love to do. But because from, you know, early days at Notable and even working in Silicon Valley before that and, and now with Own Your Anxiety, I've been forced to eat out alone all the time. And it really gets so much easier the more you do it. But I want you all to know that I, I still am a human who is riddled with the same uh, emotions as the next human. And sometimes I do have to quickly get mindful and see that I am engaging in negative self-talk when I'm by myself at the coffee shop or the restaurant. And I quickly have to remind myself that, you know what, if I was desperate to have somebody to eat with me right now or sip that, that tea or coffee, I so could have made plans, but I'm honoring myself by just being here and being. And so can you. You all have someone you could reach out to for dinner or for coffee. You know you could. If you made the time to go and make the plan, you could. But it doesn't have to be about that because right now it's just about you. It's not about you and the other person. It's just about you. So have the confidence and the assurance to know that you're amazing and you're not a loser for doing that kind of thing. Instead, you were just listening to Kelly and Julian and you're becoming a little bit more minimalist, not just in your material life, but also perhaps in your social life. And you're choosing you. And that is the choice that you always need to make is to choose and honor you. Yeah. And I think that this, this, the minimalist lifestyle for me, for example, has really enabled me to create that space so that I can check in with myself. And I feel like you are now able, you, you learn to do that as well uh, through your learnings. You know, you, you've learned that, hey, you've, you've built this sense of self-awareness and you've built, built a mindset where you, you, you can recognize your anxious feelings and be able to own them uh, and, you know, take control over them because you have this hyper-awareness now. So interesting That's it. to and, combine. And just real quick, I just want to say that and everybody who reads Own Your Anxiety has that same opportunity to develop that heightened sense. Radical self-awareness really is what it is. And you can go there. You can do it too. On a very personal level, you know, I love coffee, okay? I really, really, really love good coffee. I love to grind the beans and I love to, you know, enjoy the coffee. But I want everyone listening to know that that, that concept that you just shared of being able to, you know, tap in and reflect very quickly in real time to see where I'm at, that's something that I do every single day of my life. When I wake up, if I'm feeling anxious for whatever reason, or I know that I have a day that is going to trigger my anxiety for various you know, things, whether it's a big speech or a keynote that I'm giving or a corporate workshop or I got to travel, whatever, these things can create some anxiety for me. But it's facilitative and it ends up giving me a, a much more heightened uh, experience and a heightened experience for everybody else who's there. If I'm feeling anxious in the morning, I'm not having coffee. And if I am having a decaf, and I have the strength to love myself enough to make the choice that is going to make me feel better. 
So the sense of, of reflection is something that we really need to just sort of adopt and put into our lives on a, on a moment-to-moment basis and know that with each moment that you are becoming more and more self-aware, you are choosing you over everything else. And it does require a lot of self-discipline. Like that was a great example of that. You know, this lifestyle is not just, you've mentioned that your experiences with anxiety is almost like a form of a spiritual awakening for you, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and for me, minimalism is my experience, was my spiritual awakening because it created all this space for me to be hyper aware. But then I realized like, wow, now I have all this hyper awareness. I also, you know, I'm implementing all these healthy lifestyle habits, but all these habits require constant maintenance. Like it's not like you just figure it out and everything's easy from there. It's like, no, yeah. there's work yeah, you yeah, need yeah. to put into it. Point. Yeah. It's such a good point. So like, you know, when people die, sometimes they take a cheat day. I mean, if that, if that's going to fill somebody's cup, go have your cheat day, you know, like whatever that is, where it is, whatever. But as people grow into this heightened sense of self-awareness, what I think ends up happening to most and certainly did for me is that all of a sudden that cheat day is just not quite as exciting anymore because the spiritual growth that we experience by really honoring ourselves and starting to live our lives so they're aligned with our true, deep, deep values, that's not the best treat you can give yourself. Yes, I absolutely agree. So just to turn it over to your book, uh, when you were traveling and writing, you connected with a really diverse group of educators. Uh, You mentioned spiritual healers, like yogis from India. You also met with top medical doctors in New York and some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. Within these groups, what would you say were the most common ideas shared about anxiety that maybe gave you that aha feeling? One of the biggest moments for me was when, you know, I had my theory about anxiety, which is that with the right lifestyle changes and tweaks, the vast, vast, vast majority of people do have the ability to own it and to make it a really powerful, positive part of their lives. The way that, that, that I was able to, you know, in my, in my former career. In my former career, it wasn't just the career. It was also my health got better. My relationships got better. You know, the world just got a, a lot better looking to me. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to, you know, be super humble with my own sort of thinking in the sense that, okay, there's a chance that it just worked for me, but it doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody else. So when speaking to one of the top brain doctors, um, I shared this project that I'm working on, which is the book and the movement, really. This doctor said to me, he goes, Julian, let me just get something straight, though, for a second. Who are you writing this book for? Is it for the big A or the little A? And I go, doctor, I have to be honest. And I felt like a bit of an idiot for a minute because I was like, I've done over a year and a half of research and writing. The book took two and a half years, but I was at the year and a half mark. Um, but I don't know what those terms mean. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he goes, yeah, it's something that some of us on the inside in the medical world, when it comes to anxiety, use to refer to as the, the clinical anxiety sufferers versus the non-clinical. Only about 10% of anxiety sufferers actually need medical intervention and to be under the guidance of a doctor. Only about 10%. The other 10, the 90, excuse me, percent, the little a, don't need to be on medication and they don't need medical intervention. They don't need to be under the care of a healthcare professional. 
all they need is to make the lifestyle changes in the book right. that I talk about. Okay. That's it. So when that happened, that was a huge aha moment because it was, it was a complete validation that I was on the right track and that I could have the confidence to know that if, if I get this book out there to everybody and I really stand behind it and I get it to the people who need to get it and they tell the people who need to get it and they got something from it, then we can build a movement and we can change this anxiety epidemic. We can freaking heal the anxiety epidemic that is being over-prescribed and over-medicated and over how do I reduce it and run from it? Let's go have that bottle of wine. We can change all of that. And that was a huge aha moment for me. The 90% that can solve this or resolve these feelings through natural solutions. Really? You got it. You got it. I'm not here to be you know, a medical doctor. That's not my role in this world. And I'm, I'm, I by, by no means have any intention of stepping into the place of a medical practitioner, especially a doctor or a psychiatrist or psychologist to be specific, uh, or a neuroscientist, let's say. My intention is for the 90%, the people with the little a, who can make a hugely positive impact on their own lives just by adopting the tools that are available to all of them. And the reason why there's 99 in the book is because it's an easy way to get it all in one shot. So just to give our audience some background, what would you say, what would you say differentiates uh, stress from anxiety? Yeah, for sure. Anxiety is more severe than stress. You know, stress is something that like, you know, you can say, oh, I feel stressed out or maybe that project is giving you a bit of stress or, or it's, you know, that, that conversation gave you some stress or just a little bit too much on your calendar today. So you're feeling stressed out, but often the stress can just kind of go away real quickly. The anxiety is something that comes back time and time again. And a lot of stress for an extended amount of time can lead to anxiety. And the thing with anxiety is that if it's not, if it's not um, regulated, if, it, if it's not owned, if it's not you know, monitored, the problem with it is that it becomes you. Mm-hmm. It becomes literally who you are. It's part of your identity. And next thing you know, you're walking around telling everybody, I'm really sorry, I'm feeling super anxious. Uh, you're breaking plans. I, I, I just didn't feel right. I was really anxious. You're not achieving maximum results at work. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, but I just can't do this right now. I need some time because now you're burnt out because of the anxiety. You know, you're, you're up on stage giving a presentation or, or you're giving a speech to your best friend at their wedding day. And when it could have been a joyful experience, it's that your hands are shaking as you hold the speech. That's severe anxiety. I don't want people to have to suffer like that. Right. It, it's almost stress that lingers and it constantly mm-hmm. repeats in your head. And it compounds. And it compounds if you don't manage it correctly, which goes back to your book and you, you give us all these tools so that we can manage these feelings, which is so fantastic. And you know what, I'm, I'm actually going to pass your book along to a friend of mine. And I love doing that because um, mm-hmm. I just, I love that. I love sharing it with my friends, my peers, and, you know, building that momentum because I think you are on an incredible mission. And thank you so much for inviting me to your book launch. I had an amazing time and I want to thank you for being so vulnerable. And especially at the beginning of this conversation, you talked about how, you know, in your childhood, you had teachers that wanted to put you back a year. And so in some sense, maybe you had 
been fueled to work harder and harder and harder because you wanted to kind of prove yourself in a sense. And mm-hmm. I can actually relate to that because interesting enough, when I was in grade one, they wanted to put me back. And my, wow. my parents disagreed with that. And then again, in grade four, they told me that they, they want to put me back. And again, my parents did not allow them to. And so what happened to me is I, um, you know, I needed extra hours, I needed extra time to finish an exam, etc. But that fueled, fueled the fire in me to, you know, work hard and built my work ethic. But at the same time, it also kind of led me to feelings of great stress and anxiety. And thanks to the work that you do, and, and, and thanks to this new lifestyle that I'm living, um, this minimalist lifestyle, I'm able to kind of be hyper aware of how I manage my anxiety. And that's why I love, I love that you say own your anxiety, because it's not something that we can just get rid of. It's something that we need to manage, and also use to our advantage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that just now with, with everybody and myself. It's amazing how in life, every setback is just an opportunity for a stronger comeback. You know, it's amazing. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. um, back to your back to your book launch. Um, you actually had us you actually had the audience, everybody in the audience close their eyes and follow a meditative practice that involved breathing exercises and giving gratitude. On that note, what are two to three practices our listeners can do today to own their anxiety? Sure. Uh, great question. I'm so glad you asked before we wrap up here. Okay, everybody, one of the most important and beneficial things you can do for yourself, it's, it's really a life changer. It's what I call breath of gratitude. And it's something that you can do any time in the day, but I recommend doing it the second you wake up. Okay, so here's how I would, here's a couple of things, actually, uh, not just breath of gratitude, but, uh, but another thing, and I'll get to two in one. So Kelly, this is how it goes. When you all wake up, okay, my friends, when you wake up in the morning, first of all, say thank you out loud. Just say thank you. You can say it like thank you or thank you. Whatever it is, just say thank you to something bigger than you for being given the gift of another day. Automatically, you're going to be putting yourself in a state of gratitude and a state of humbleness to just be given another day. Then from there, just place your feet on the, on the ground. And that's when we start taking breath of gratitude. It consists of a couple of very easy steps. Inhale from your nose to your belly and exhale from your nose to your belly. So we're only going nose to belly breath. And that's the first tip in the book like Kelly and I spoke about before. From there, with every breath, give gratitude for one thing and visualize it coming closer and closer and closer to you as you exhale. Do that three to five and even 10 times and then go and get the day started and just watch what that does for you. It puts the mind in a state of gratitude, which is the leading positive psychology hack that we can do. And it puts the nervous system into a state of rest and relaxation. You're going to be geared up and ready to rock anyways all day long with all the stimuli that's going to come your way, my friends. So if you put your body into a nice, calm state, you're going to be that much more capable of taking on all the important things that you have to do. So I think those are two huge things. It's really three. It's say thank you. It's nose to belly breathing, which I call MTB, and it's the gratitude. So that's breath of gratitude. You combine nose to belly breathing with gratitude. And then the last thing is go and drink a glass of water right away because 
we go into a state of hydration, dehydration when we sleep. And there's a lot of data that says that dehydration may cause anxiety as well. So there you go. Wow. I could see myself incorporating this into my morning routine. And I think a lot of us can do that. And I, I would say that it doesn't take a lot of time. And so if you can brush your teeth, you can incorporate this into your morning routine. You can yeah, also do yeah. it at night too, right? Absolutely. And when breathing like this and giving gradually, this becomes part of your life. You can do it at night. You can do it during the day. I, I was doing this before some of my biggest business meetings when I had my old company. Literally right before I feel my heart start to race and I would just start going into breath of gratitude. Oh gosh, this is so smart. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Very, very helpful on my end as well. I appreciate oh, it. My pleasure. Uh, so Julian, I really appreciate our conversation. I really enjoyed this. To close, where can our listeners find you? And yeah. Okay, absolutely. So the best thing is to start on my website, Julian Brass, J-U-L-I-A-N, Brass, like the metal, dot com slash subscribe. And from there, you can receive the life letter, which is a daily piece of inspiration that I send out. It's very brief. It's like in this idea of minimalism and keeping things simple. You can quickly get that. It's, just, it's a simple idea of the day every morning. It's, a, it's your life letter. And I also send some tips on how to be an elite performer and own your anxiety as well. So julianbrass.com slash subscribe and Instagram is something that I, you know, share and serve with all the time. My Insta is at julianbrass as well. I've got a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash julianbrass. I'm just starting to really add more long-term video content. So if any of you are visual learners and you want to get more of this types of things that my work is all about, you might enjoy that as well. Oh, amazing. Are you going to incorporate that into your uh, mindful newsletters? Yes, absolutely. Oh, oh perfect. Perfect. Because I, I, I really do enjoy watching um, YouTube videos. I think it's, it can be very, very helpful. So I think it's great that you're doing that. Okay, awesome. Good to hear. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Julian. And oh, I really, for really sure. look forward to following your journey. This is amazing. I mean, you're in, you're from Toronto, so hopefully we can meet for a cup of, I'm going to say, afternoon tea. <laughs> there you go. I would <laughs> love to. I would love to. Okay, awesome. Thanks again, Julian. I'll talk thanks to you soon. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks for doing what you're doing, Kelly. It's really important work. So thanks on behalf of the universe. Aw, uh -huh, likewise. All right. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.